This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode 21. This is Gilbert. Welcome to the podcast. Today we'll be speaking with Raymond Ray, who is an entrepreneur, global speaker, and best selling author. He's been featured in a number of major media and works with amazing brands such as Microsoft, Google, Inc., Fox News. Fox Business, Dell, AT&T, MSNBC, Intuit, Infusionsoft, and the New York Times. He is a professional member of the NSA, the National Speakers Association of New York. Ramon is a four-time entrepreneur and has previously made an exit. He has shared the stage with many celebrity entrepreneurs such as Seth Godin, Damon John, and Simon Cynic. Raymond is an expert on personal branding and live events. Today, Raymond and I will be talking about live events, why you should host them, and some of the mistakes you can avoid before you get started. Join me in welcoming Raymond Ray. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I have Raymond Ray on the, on the line, and Raymond is going to share with us some tips on personal branding, how he does live events, and how he has been able to get people like Seth Godin to participate on his events. Glad to have you on the show, Raymond. Hey, you know what, man? It is amazing, amazing to be here and always glad to be able to share, add value, and thank you for seeing value and something that I could share with your community. So thank you. So let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit more about your uh, yourself, maybe your backstory. Uh, where did it all start for you? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how far back you want me to go. I can talk about my mother, but <laughs> I think I'll skip a few years ahead. But in a nutshell, I uh, work with large companies such as Microsoft, Salesforce, AT&T, and many others and help them better communicate to smaller businesses. And that's in the realm of influencer marketing. They have budgets to spend, you know, billions and billions to spend on Facebook ads, broadcast TV. There's most of the money goes there. But they also are looking to who can we have to host an event? Who can we have to represent us at an event? Who can we have to host our Twitter chats, webinars? And that's the role I fill with others. So I, that, I do that on one hand. I also have a company that does a lot of uh, content marketing with many of these same companies and smaller brands that are looking to amplify a particular message, amplify their thought leadership. So they pay me, say, Ramon, we'll give you X amount if you can post this on your site or share this with your community. And that's called a featured post, really above board. You know, it's nothing hidden. We say, hey, we're happy to work with this company to let you know about 10 ways to sleep better or 10 ways to start your business better. Maybe it's a bank who's a client. And then the third thing is I'm a speaker. So again, companies uh, pay me to uh, speak and go around the world and share about entrepreneurship. And as you know, Gilbert, all that's wrapped around the community that I have, me sharing uh, my knowledge, what I can of how to start a business, how to grow a business. And in particular, my focus is personal branding. It's a little nutshell of what I do today. And 
I guess I didn't, answer, I didn't answer the full question, but my beginning, I've been doing this for about 20 years. I've had a career at the United Nations for some of that years until I didn't. But really over the past 20 years, I've, I've been speaking and writing and producing events for a long time and always had that entrepreneurial bug within me. Got it. So let's, the first question would be, what is some of the common mistakes that people make when they go about you know, hearing this word personal branding and applying it to their career? It's a good question. I think that I guess first, let me define how I define it. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's many different ways to, that people can define it, but for me, and maybe first what I'll do is talk about the results. My friend Donna Lewis, uh, Donna St. Louis talks about that often. She got me into talking about results. So when I think of personal brand, let's say there's two guys who own two car, car dealerships. Both are car dealerships. Everybody knows you can go there and buy a car. But the car dealership owner with a strong personal brand, people know he's the go-to guy about cars. When they're talking home with their family during Thanksgiving, during Christmas, during whatever they're at, and they're thinking about car dealerships in their local city, they're thinking of this guy. When they're thinking about a blog post about cars, they're thinking of this guy. That's what, to me, a personal brand means. Not your corporate brand, but it's for you as an individual, you're locked into your community's mind that they think of you first when they think of something else. So that's kind of the end result of that. You don't have to lower your prices. You can raise your prices, in fact, and you're thought of first. Personal brand, my book is coming out called Celebrity CEO about that. And for me, uh, Gilbert, it's really uh, the aspect of you're thought of first. So I think the biggest mistake people do is they really don't know what it is. And they think it means I got to run more Facebook ads. They think it means I got to be cool or funny. They think it means I got to be like somebody else. But really, I think the biggest mistake people do is just not being themselves and being someone else. That's probably the biggest, biggest mistake. And there's many mistakes, but that's one or two that I can think of. And the question that people would be asking is, who do I want to be known for? Exactly. Exactly. And I think once people can get that question answered of what, of who do I want to be known for? And of course, you can extend that to many different things, but I think that's where it goes focus as well, Gilbert, that, you know, I can use so many examples. Let's say that you are a um, graphic artist. You can't, it's hard to be known on a, on a, on a small level to be the best graphic artist in your small town and to be the best uh, dog walker and to be the best bread maker. Usually people can't be the best at all things, but if you really find out what do I do best, how do I want to be known, that's how you can win. So you're saying we should focus on one, one key thing, one of our strengths and build a brand around that. Exactly. What one, and you can go to two and especially if they're connected, like the, the car dealership guy can also be known as the guy who repairs cars the best can also be known maybe as the guy who shines car the best in the dealership, taking that example. But really you don't want to be too diffused because there's, there's so much going on in the market. There's so much of your attention that's being called for. So most people, you just don't have the bandwidth to, you know, to be too many things. You know, everybody's not Amazon, which is selling 5 billion different products. Most of us, going back to being personal branding, it's being well-known in your local community, like in just maybe Austin, Texas, or a small town in Austin, Texas, or being known in your specific ge ge geography. We are the best asphalt, concrete asphalt layers or something like that in the world for bridges, you know, that specific. So I, I was speaking with a number of people and they said that when they first started out, one of the biggest mistakes they made was trying to be everything to everyone. And they just started blowing up when they decided to focus on one thing. Now, let's say that, mm -hmm. you know, listeners hearing this right now, they decide to focus on one thing. What would be the next step, the next logical step for them? Yeah, so I think after you focus on that one thing, you say to myself, hey, we're going to be known as this. I think then it's really going about in your community and giving. 
And, and again, there's many ways you can do this. Keep that in mind. You know, I can, I can, we can later on, we can go through some steps. I talk about doing events and writing books, but even more than that, I say being a giver because I know that's my journey. So my speaking Gilbert started when I started speaking for free at SCORE, Service Corps Retired Executive. They don't use that anymore, but it's the free government service that helps businesses start and grow. And they didn't pay me, but by being out in the community, quote unquote, every day, every week, every month, I became known as, at that time, it was the small business uh, technology evangelist. I kind of now shifted that a bit, but by being out there every day, being consistent, being known, over time, you'll become known for what you raise your hand to do. And I think that's really the second step is just getting out there now, putting a stake in the ground and doing it. You can't hide in your room, or if you want to hide in your room, do a video. Every day you're doing a video, but now it's time to get out and about and educate the market, be a giver around what your expertise is and around what you want to be known about. So there's a lot of people that they hear the word expert and they, they're sort of, they feel maybe insecure about it because usually expert connotates that, you know, you spend years in this expertise and you, uh, you know, all the bells and whistles, but how would somebody, you know, they don't have like 20 years of experience sure. in that area. Say they've, you know, they, they started maybe a few years, but they do know something a bit more than the average, average Joe. How would they uh, make themselves uh, known? And let's say they're consistent. They're constantly putting out content, but they're not seeing the results sure. that perhaps in, initially they, they thought of achieving. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And you're asking questions that I think the average person would ask. So I love this. So, and we can unpack this as much as you want. So I'll answer it a few ways because you, you packed a few things into that statement, which is very powerful. I think one, time is important. You touched on time. This takes time. I've been doing what I've been doing uh, for over 20 years as a speaker. Other people call me a thought leader. I don't call that. Other people call me the expert in personal branding. I don't call myself that. I mean, you may see it written down, but that's because other people see. So this takes time. It's not going to happen possibly in three months or six months. That's one. Two, I personally do think that if, as you have a strong personal brand, you will build up expertise that others don't have. That doesn't mean everybody doesn't know how to tweet. But if you're diving into Twitter, as you said just now, Gilbert, which is interesting, you'll be, you'll know a little bit more than the average Joe, which means you kind of are sliding into expert territory because a lot of people know how to use LinkedIn. But if you know just a bit more than the average person, whether you want to call yourself an expert or not, you're kind of heading that way towards being an expert. And I think that for those who are just starting out, and if I haven't answered all the questions, Gilbert, you can feel free to ask me again, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll go more into it. But I think for those who are just starting out, I'd say that it's really consistency. And I mean, it sounds weird, but I will challenge anybody listening right now, any of you, challenge you right now. You say, Ramon, I'm just starting out. I have a couple that I'm working with. They have a um, fitness, uh, fitness, they're fitness coaches, help people to be more healthy and lose weight and uh, strength training. And I, I challenge them the same thing. Nobody knows you today. You've just put up your Wix or whatever website you want website. How do you start? By being consistent. I want to see you Monday. Uh, here's how to do push-ups right. Wednesday, if you're going for the firefighter exam, because that's their specialty, see, ding, 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 specialty, you're going for the firefighter's exam in New York City, here's how to have stronger legs. Friday, you know, you want to be a New York City police officer and you've never run before, here's how to do it the New York City police way. So, by doing that over and over and again in a very narrow market, you will become the expert in law enforcement health training. You, you, you just can't help it. Now, it's not going to be day one, but by doing it over and over again, your personal brand will grow and get solidified absolutely. 
that's great advice because a lot of people, uh, when they start off, they think uh, I need to do everything again. They, right. no, they, they see examples. For instance, LinkedIn is also um, it's a huge uh, platform and people that are in the B2B space uh, use it heavily. So when you see people there, you know, you go on their profiles and they have like a long list of accomplishments that they all had to start from, you know, make, making those, making those you know, cold calls and reaching out to people and just doing the unpaid speaking gigs mm-hmm. and, and all of these things. Absolutely. So, right. And, right. And I would say to that point, Gilbert, I would just add, if I may, is that keep in mind, you can start with yourself. So I'm not a consultant. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not for hire by a very few people. Do I work with one-to-one because I don't do consulting. But guess what? What is my expertise in the realm of personal branding and getting media attention, which is part of that? I've done it for myself. I'm being interviewed by you right now. I've had interviews probably last week and the week before and week before. So not just podcasts and bloggers, but in the quote-unquote top-tier media, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Inc., and others. I've been in those places too. So this goes back to I'm not proclaiming I've done it for others necessarily, but I can say I've done it for myself. And so that makes me an expert as well. And you just touched on a good point. You see a lot of these so-called experts online in, in say, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. They self-proclaim mm-hmm. themselves as expert. But would you say that expert is not something that you would call yourself? It's sort of like people would call you the expert. Absolutely. And I think that, of course, you can, meaning you want to do a little bit of Gary Vaynerchuk, I'll shout him out, you know, and kind of self-promote. <laughs> Clearly, he's earned it. I mean, obviously, he tweets and 100,000 people like what he does. But I think I do teach people, you do have to self-promote yourself a little bit. When I'm going out, as you may see, Gilbert, you know, my Twitter handles at Ramon Ray and other places, I do selfies. I, I do a lot of Instagram stories to my crew to showcase what I'm doing. One, because many, you know, want to see what's Ramon up to. Uh, and also, it's a way of self-promotion. But I think also, um, you, so the one half, you can self-proclaim it to kind of seed that in people's mind. But the real people, as, you're, as you said, Gilbert, the real people, the genuine experts who are really doing what they're doing, other people will say that. That's for sure, absolutely. And as you have seen when we met you know, recently, other people said, hey, uh, Gilbert, here's Ramon. You need to talk to him. And people, I'm sure, say it about you. So I think, I think it goes both ways. But yes, I think when you're starting out, it's okay to do a little bit of humble self-promotion, but over time, everybody else is going to say, this is the man. Seth Godin, he's a b- big fan of, of mine. I say, that's the man. Or you look at uh, Serena Williams, a tennis player. She no longer has to say, I'm Serena Williams, right? We all know who she is. And so I think that's where it comes to expertise, time, professionalism, and just doing the work. Got it. So what, what was your biggest lesson over the, the last 20 years doing this and let me narrow it down a little bit what was your biggest learning in the realm of personal branding uh, for yourself that if you had to do it over 20 years ago you would have worked on this first yeah great question i think uh probably two th- uh, a couple things well one as i hinted before but really i had to learn it that i have to be myself for example sometimes people ding me quite a bit that i speak too fast now gilbert I know I have to slow down. I'm probably speaking a bit too fast in this interview. <laughs> and I know. No, you're fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. But some people may say it, or maybe right now I'm not. But I've heard before, Ramon, slow down. You'll be a better speaker. And noting, I do need to slow down, slow down a bit, for sure. But also, Gilbert, people have told me that my speed and, and my, uh, it's infectious and endearing. So I got to be me. I think that's probably the biggest lesson or thing I've, I've had to overcome is that I have to be 
me probably is the, is the, is the biggest way. And, and I think the volume, I think that the, I, 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 as you may see in my world, I have email, I have social media, I have events, I have video. So I'm out there quite a bit for a small bit of people. They may say, wow, it's too much. They can not watch me. But for the majority of people, especially in this world of, of so much attention and noise and content, I think you got to be in all places, everywhere your audience wants you to be at. And I feel like sometimes that, that so-called weakness or perceived weakness could be seen, could be actually a strength. In this case, like you said, speaking fast, sometimes it gives you the more, the style. Mm-hmm. A lot of speakers, they might be speaking monotone, they might be talking really slowly, but you're, you're going on there, you got the energy, listen to your speech before, and <laughs> it's awesome, you know? I appreciate it. Exactly. And you're right, again, but we all have, and I think what you're saying is right, because let's say the person who may not be like Ramon, as dynamic, let's say, I'm just saying what others have said, I'm nobody special, but as dynamic or high energy as myself, they may be a lot more deep or introspective. You take a look at Simon Sinek. I happen to, he's not like some people cry in his speeches and he's like their guy. He's not my guy per se. I think he's a smart guy, but meaning I don't get excited about his talks, but there's people who like his more measured, right? Thoughtful and et cetera approach. So I think that that's, you know, hey, listen, there's a hundred ways to, excuse me, uh, uh, cat lovers, a hundred ways to skin a cat. And I think as long as you're out there doing it for your audience, you're going to build it, whether you're a Gilbert style or Ramon style. Both work. All depends on how you roll and who you're rolling for. And you've also shared the stage with Simon Snack. I have indeed. <laughs> and that's why, because I was there live when he was at an event and I was amazed, man, people were tearing up and crying. And again, that's cool. I wasn't. That's not, I'm not saying anything bad about him at all. He's a great speaker and thought leader. What I'm trying to say is that he affects his crowd, how he does it. Somebody else may be, for example, take another thought leader, Malcolm Gladwell. Now, I'm a Malcolm Gladwell guy. I just, I dig him quite a bit. Everybody's different. Got it. Since we're talking about events, why don't we shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, live events and the importance of that, how the importance of that plays in the, our lives? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer there's a few things, uh, Gilbert, that people have to do to have a strong personal brand. You have to write a book, do events, get out there in the media, uh, be well-spoken. And I can talk about, you know, a few other things that, that are not the top of my head. But I think the beauty of live events is this. When you do a live event, you're the top dog. The attention's on you. And I don't mean in an arrogant way, I mean in a humble way, in a sincere way. You're bringing together your community, or as Seth Godin has said and others have said, you're enabling your community to, to rally, giving them the tool to rally around you. So that's one. Two, nothing that I'm aware of today no matter what VR, AR, Facebook, Snapchat, AI, no matter all those things, nothing beats IRL in real life. Nothing beats it. End of story. So I think that that's the second reason why live events are so powerful because, listen, there's the Super Bowl and millions of people watch it on TV, yes, but trust me, all of them wish they were there live. And I've been to a Super Bowl game live before. So I think that's the power of, of really live in-person events. It just brings a dynamism and brings people together like uh, other things. It just doesn't happen. I've produced a number of events. I can talk about that if you want how to do it in a bit. But I think that's, that's the why of doing events. Live events just bring humans together in a way that humans like to be brought together. So what did you learn about live events while you, were, while you started your first a live event that sure. now you know that back then you didn't. 
Absolutely. And I've been doing events for about 13 years, probably longer, but my big event is called the uh, Smart Hustle Small Business Conference, smarthustle.com slash conference. I've done it every fall for about 13 years. I think the one thing is that it takes a lot of money. So I've had to max credit cards and be, you know, judicious with my credit cards to do live events. That's one of the food and the venue and all those things. Two, you don't have to have an event that has a takes a lot of money. You know, you can do the different ways to do smaller events, like using a meetup group, things like this. But if you want to do a big one that has maybe 200, 300, 400, 500 people, that takes a different scale. And I say two to 500 because most people are not going to do an event that has 10,000 or 20,000. That's just a different scale of event. So two, takes money. Three, uh, quite a bit of planning. Four, and I think most importantly though, Gilbert, is what's the agenda and what's the draw? And, and there's people who can get famous people to come. That's one way to do it. And or a mix of maybe it's not famous people, but maybe you can get three people together who were on Shark Tank. So maybe you didn't pay them to come, but doesn't that sound cool? Come to Ramon's event. Three of the Shark Tank people are coming. It's not Mark Cuban, but it's three people who are on Shark Tank in your local town. So there's many ways to do a good event that really can rock, but the key is what's the agenda? Who's it for? Get a venue, pay for the food. It helps to have a great host, our MC. And also, man, I leave at least six months for marketing. You know, yeah, some people pack their events South by Southwest. That's an in-demand event, a different type of different scale of event. But for most of us smaller businesses, you need three to six months to get 150 to 200 people in the door, especially, I must say, in the New York area. If out of New York where there's a lot less happening, maybe it's different. But in the New York area, you need a lot of time for marketing and letting people know about it for sure. Is it because there's a lot of competition, a lot of other people running events simultaneously or? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big reason. I mean, well, two reasons. I think one, people are just distracted, especially in the New York area. People are distracted. Two, there's so much going on. Now, in fairness, if you're in a smaller town, which doesn't get big name speakers, because if you look on the speaking map, quote unquote, and I'm making this up, I would bet a lot of the bigger events and bigger speakers are on the coast, San Francisco, Atlanta, New York City, Los Angeles, Boston. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of events, of course, that happen in the middle of the USA, but it's just different. So I think that especially in the, on the high traffic, well-packed cities, urban areas, it's just a lot more difficult because, yeah, people are distracted. Yawn, Barack Obama's coming. Yawn, Donald Trump's coming. These guys have been all over. I'm making those two names up, meaning, but in the middle of the country, it's a bit different. Got it. So tell us a bit about your first event. How was that like? How many people showed up? How did you put it together? <laughs> what were some of the mistakes you made? Sure. Yeah, the first event, I must say the numbers and et cetera are about what it's like today. Usually my events have between 200 and 500. It, 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 it stays at that level for whatever reason. And that's, and that's a fine number for me. But the first event, I did it at the uh, Roosevelt Hotel near Grand Central in New York. At the time, I had a partner. Her name was Marion Banker. Amazing, amazing, smart, wonderful woman who partnered with me at the time. And that's another tip. I did it with a partner so we could split the risks, split the cost. And, and we both shared in the, in the emotional and intellectual thought to put it together. But uh, really, I, I took my credit card. I think I want to say about 20000 I put in my card or between the two of our cards. And I, I don't remember exactly who even spoke at it, but I brought together the best speakers I could get. I think, I think one guy was uh, like sold his company to Salesforce at the time. So I was able to say, hey, he sold his business for $300 million. You want to come in here and speak? And that was our first event. We packed about 300 people there. And I think some things I've learned is that back then I was giving away probably a lot more free tickets. So I had higher, attend higher registration numbers, but probably lower attendance. Today, 
I give away a lot less free tickets and mostly everyone pays and there's a much higher attendance rate. And since it's been going on that long, I think the trust with sponsors is, is, is uh, there already. Uh, this year I'm having Salesforce and Zoho and others are sponsors. The first one into it was a sponsor in Intel. And that was though built Gilbert because of the work that I had done years ago as being remote building my personal brand, if that makes sense. Not everybody can just call into it and say, hey, Intuit, can you send us a check for $20,000? Intuit does event marketing, but they're gonna, they're gonna evaluate who you are, what you're doing, is it an event for them? And grateful to say my work that I had done previously kind of sealed the deal and helped them say yes to me, even though it was my first big event. So you touched upon the importance of having sponsors. How, how do people that are just starting out, do they, how do they approach sponsors? Great question. And I spoke about sponsorships at an NSA event a few weeks ago. People want to email me or email you. If I have a recording of that, I'll give it to them. But sponsors is not easy. It's really about know, like, and trust and value. So here's how to do it. One, who is the event for? Who are you bringing together? That's important. Two, you have to match the sponsor with the sponsor wants to who's going to be at the event. That's point two. Point three, for the small level, small people like us, like me, I'm not some big brand like, you know, Lexus or ZD, Ziff Davis or, you know, South by Southwest, small guy. It really goes back to that personal connection. So let's say Gilbert works at Stables. Let's pretend. I know you, Gilbert. You trust me. That kind of relationship is easier because at least you don't have to worry about who's Ramon. Is he going to steal our money? It's a very simple transaction of when is the event? Do we have the budget? And is, does this budget align with our event marketing needs? That's how I'd start off. Because if I'm trying to go to Gilbert, let's say at Staples again, and Gilbert doesn't know me, he's never heard of me, never heard of my event, it's a bit harder. He'll say, oh, email us to the, you know, the, the sponsorships at staples.com email address, <laughs> which somebody may read, somebody may not. So I would say really if you can start with somebody you trust and also start local. I know uh, my friend uh, Paulina, uh, she just had a great event uh, called uh, Business of Women. She had Verizon there. My guess is that it wasn't Verizon corporate, like at the big, big national level, but she probably had the local team who was interested in a New York audience sponsor the event. So, you know, maybe you want BMW at your event. Probably you're not going to get BMW like the Mothership Corporation, but maybe there's a local BMW franchise dealer who will sponsor your event. So start local, start small, first and foremost. What's your contact point at these sponsors? Do they vary from company to company or is there a particular department person that has the capacity to say yes to this? Yeah, usually it's, it, well, it, it depends on the company, how they're structured, but A, the, the, uh, as a journalist and as I cover a lot of the, these events, I know many of the PR people at the events, the public relations people who, have, who want relationship with journalists. So that kind of gives an easy because they know me and they can recommend me to the right person. So public relations, they're not gonna have the budget necessarily for the event, but they can influence and guide you to the right person. So public relations. A second is anybody in the marketing suite. If you know the CMO, the head of marketing, that's another person. They, those are the people who probably have the budget to sponsor the event. And third of the sales side, as some people may not know, but just to educate you, sales and marketing, two different functions, and a company is often two different sides of the equation. There can be the director of sales and the director of marketing, but the sales guy or gal, they need to generate sales. So if you can show them that your event uh, has the right fit, the right customer type to help them generate sales, there could be a good inclination they'll say yes. So with the sales say the head of sales have the authority to say yes to that or would they influence the, the, you know, the, marketing, the marketing department? Yeah, that's where it depends, on, it depends on the company because, you know, you could have a head of marketing, but they don't do events. The salespeople have the budget for the event. 
or they have a sales, uh, they have an events team as well. Exactly. Or, and that's the second, third point. So you can have the marketing could be in charge of events. The sales team could be in charge of events, or they have an entire event team that's under one of the two usually, and they have the budget. But either way, if you're out in one of those, uh, you know, pillars or legs, you're going to be touching uh, somebody that has at least some budget to do that. So for sure. And I know that there's good time and a bad time to ask for sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So what would be a bad time and what would be considered a good time? Yeah, probably a bad time. I mean, it's important to know also the budget cycles of the companies you're with. Some companies, Microsoft, their fiscal calendar year ends in, I think, begins in the 1st of July and ends in the end of June. So, you know, when it's February, March, they're thinking of how we're going to spend our budget for the fall. Or they're thinking we have budget left over, where should we spend the rest of it? So I think really, as long as you're ahead of the game, there's no bad time if you're giving yourself six months to a year, you know, because you're hitting either time. And so I would, I would if you're looking for, to, to, for somebody to sponsor your event in December, hit them up in January the year before. Um, but I think knowing budget cycles is probably the best time. Clearly, major holidays, nobody's thinking of it. You know, if you're approaching somebody between October and December, that's just kind of, a, you know, a non-starter uh, for people to think about sponsoring your event because they don't have the time or the bandwidth to think about it. So anytime before, before the holidays start to roll around? I think so. And again, if, if you miss that and it is the holidays, most times there's going to say, hit us up in January, February, <laughs> you know, so either way. And what would be the best time to have the live event? Would it be in the beginning of the year or let's say, you know, anywhere between January and June? I'm looking at you know, calendars, event calendars, and very rarely do I see events after September. Correct. I think the majority of them are like June, August. Right. I think if I had to say broad, broad strokes, I'd say September to November, in fact, because you can still have a good events in November or even the beginning of December. December is tough though because the sweet spot is nobody's going to listen to you several weeks in November and then nobody's going to listen to you at the end of December. So I'd say sweet spot, sweet spot for events, September to December, avoiding the major holidays during that period of time. And then the second, I, for me, I like, I'm feeling good February, March-ish to June. Because keep in mind, the, and this is a proverbial broad strokes, the kids out of school, families going on vacation, July, August. That doesn't mean everybody is. I think there's an event for franchises or uh, affiliate marketing. That's in New York City in the middle of August. But those are some broad strokes, I'd say. And also remember also, depending on the community you're in, New York City has a very uh, large Jewish community. So one big mistake I did, I did an event like right in the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah. I think that's in October, I want to say. And man, I wondered why nobody was there. Why? New York City has a highest, high concentration of, of Jewish community. So the event was a bust. So keep in mind, you know, you're doing an event in, the, in some city where there's a lot big Muslim population and it's, it's famous Muslim holiday or whatever it is. So keep that in mind, you know, whether it's Jewish or Muslim or St. Patrick's Day or well, that's not really a religious holiday, but you get my point. Uh, be sensitive to the uh, Chinese New Year. You're doing an event, the Chinatown Fest. I'm making this up, you know, and it's like whatever it's the Chinese New Year or for Asians in general, maybe, maybe nobody's going to come. So you got to be cognizant of those things. Got it. And of course, there's the finding the speakers, which I would also say is probably one of the biggest challenges. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, for me, the speaker is the draw. As I said earlier, there's two ways you can do it. Hey, we're bringing together five people who survived the volcano. Okay, that's nice. Or we're bringing the guy who saved the people from the volcano, if you get what I mean. A silly example, but 
you can get the main person, the person who's the focus of something or people around it. But the speaker or speakers is really important. And I think for me, I kind of do it in one or two levels. You have somebody who's very, very, very well known in their own right. Okay, that's one level. Or you have somebody who's at a company that has some good cachet or well-known. And the third level is, and this goes to me, you, anybody, people who just have a good story. But again, if you want people to take notice, to go, oh, oh, that person, that's where you kind of probably have somebody with some good name recognition. So how have you been able to, you know, invite these big name speakers to your events? What are some of the tips that you would be able to share with the audience? Sure. I think there, and there's no big secret. I think many people know I, I Seth Godin has spoken at my event, I think two or three times. People say, oh, how did you get Seth Godin? And I've had others as well. He's probably been the, the biggest name that I'm honored to have had. And I think a few things I'll say. One, for some people, there's no magic secret. You know, Seth and many others, he's kind of migrated now to being an entrepreneur uh, and doing some other things, some projects he's working on. But he is a speaker. He flies around the country. I think he speaks about 20, 24 or so times a year. And, and people compensate him for his time and experience in speaking. End of story. So I think that's one aspect. Do you have a budget to pay speakers to speak? That's one. And the bigger the speaker, the more they're going to be paid. My, my, one of my goals, and anybody hearing me who wants to help me, my, my uh, bucket list, I want to have Steve Harvey speak at one of my events. Steve Harvey costs over $100,000 to have him speak. So now, I may not have to pay him that. Maybe I can go through a different route, through somebody who knows him. But my point is that's something to think of. So do you have a budget? Point number two, even if you have the budget or say budgets aside, is the work you're doing, your professional resume and bio, the type of event you're doing, is it attractive to a speaker of that caliber? So I, again, speakers' names don't come to my mind. You can make up some if you want. But any famous person you want, Paul McCartney, I think his name is. He was on the radio today. He has a new album out. I don't even listen to his music, but with the Beatles or whatever. Yeah, maybe you have a check and you can pay him or maybe not. But even if he says yes or no, he's only going to want to show up to a quality run event, check or not. So that's point two. Are you legit? Are you showing value? Is this something that people want to come to? And I think those are the two main things is that A, is your event good? And do you have a budget? And remember, you don't have to pay all speakers. Some speakers will come. Maybe they've been there, done that, and they're happy to come for a plane ticket or a small honorarium. Everybody has something that they want. Some people are coming out with a new book. So if you're coming out with that in mind, maybe you don't have to come out, uh, pay them something, but you, uh, you say, hey, listen, I'll buy 200 of your books. Why do they want you to buy their books? They want some cash to say they were a bestseller, and they want to get the books moved. So those are a few things I would say. And some of them, depending on what city you do it at, some speakers have never been there and it's an opportunity for them or it's something that interests them. And that way you might be able to work down the speaker fees. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I meant about, you know, everything's negotiable. Some speakers may say, hey, my fee is this amount. End of story. Other speakers may say, you know what? Wow, you're having an event in, uh, you know, Honolulu or Brooklyn, New York. Dang, I'd love to come. And they come. Got it. So a few last questions sure. for you, Raymond. Why do you do what you do? I like to have fun. I got to provide for my family, make a living, unless that's obvious for everybody. But I, I like to have fun, man. I, listen, I've been tempted sometimes, Gilbert, to get a job and go work for somebody. I have. I've scrolled LinkedIn. I kid you not. Man, I should be hired by this company, be their marketing manager. But I can't because I love the freedom of going where I want, doing what I want, when I want, how I want, and piloting my own destiny. By God's grace, piloting my own destiny. So that's really why I do what I do. That's really inspiring because a lot of people starting out, you know, they, they always thought, you know, I know it brings freedom, but seems a lot more practical 
to maybe work for somebody. Now, in that case, I'm not sure they'll be listening to this, but usually, <laughs> usually the people that I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is either doing something or on the way to be Absolutely. working on their own projects. Second question, what makes you happy? You know what, man? Listen, with, if my family likes what I'm doing and my wife is happy, my kids are happy, I'm happy on that's one half. Professionally speaking, when I leave the stage, and I'll take that as one example, when I leave the stage, two things make me happy. A, seeing the smile of the audience, seeing the smiles of the audience that I'm connecting and that I'm helping with them. I left the stage, Gilbert, a few, uh, last week. A lady said, listen carefully, she had nine miscarriages. She came up to me and said, Ramon, when you spoke, you just, she was like, I inspired her. I'm like, dang, but you inspired me. But she said, you inspired me because I, I learned from you today now how I can learn one or two things that I could help advance my business. So that's really what, what I call success or makes me happy, just knowing I can connect and help somebody else. And then second, of course, part of that is the sponsor. You know, Gilbert says, Ramon, we're going to fly you here. We're going to pay you to come and speak. Gilbert says, Ramon, thank you. The money you invested in you was worthwhile. That makes my day, brother. That makes my day all day long. Wow. And finally, if people would like to get in touch with you, attend your next conference, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, RamonRay.com is, is my main site. Many people call me Raymond, but RamonRay.com, R-A-M-O-N-R-A-Y, R-A-M-O-N-R-A-Y. That's my uh, flagship site. And the conference itself, SmartHustle.com slash conference. But really, if you just look up, you know, type in R-A-M-O-N-R-A-Y, you'll see everything there is to know about me. And, uh, and, and man, you're, you're like amazing interviewer and I've just massively appreciated sharing with your audience, sharing with your community and adding value to them. So I'm, I'm just grateful that y'all, that you see some value in me. So thank you. Great to have you, Ramon. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.